Is it on? Is it on? Is it on? Yay! Good. Have we taken the offering? I don't think we have, have we? Okay, let's take the offering quickly, just while I sort myself out. So, stewards, if you could take it off for the offering brackets, that'd be absolutely fantastic. Come on, Neil. Just while I sort myself out. Brilliant. Great. Excellent. Thank you very much. Okay, well, good morning. My name's Alid. I'm one of the members here at King's and part of the leadership team. And it's an absolute privilege to be uh, preaching this morning. Uh, Paul and Steve have asked me to uh, kind of talk and encourage us about this whole area of connect groups or living connected, being in community. Um, And those that know me well uh, will know that this has been something on my heart over the last um, couple of years, particularly as we've uh, focused on Six O'Clock Church. Myself and my wife, we've planted Six O'Clock Church as a venue. And a couple of the the value areas that we looked at um, were come as you are, this idea that anyone, we don't need to put a mask on, we want you to be able to come and join in with us as a family. And the second one was this intentional phrase, live connected. We want you to come and live connected. That's not just a one-off deal, you just come and you connect in and that's it. But actually it's something which is an active thing, it implies action. It implies you actually have to do something, you need to invest time into it. And so it's my privilege to talk about that this morning. I'm not going to talk about the practicalities of connect groups. That's just the kind of the system or the way that we're going to do it as a church here. Uh, But I do want to take a step back, if you like, and look at what is God's heart for community? What is God's heart for relationship in the church? And if you hear one thing today, I want it to be this. You have a place here. Whoever you are, Whatever background or situation you're from, you have a place here. I don't know whether you've yet signed up for a connect group or not, or if you haven't, why that reason is. But my prayer for you today is that you feel wanted, that you feel welcome. And if you haven't yet, you would maybe consider being part of a group and living in community this year. just want to start by asking you a question, and the question is this. What is the one thing that you value most? If you had to lose everything in life, what is the one thing that you couldn't live without? That was the question asked of 2,000 young people. Um, By young, they meant 18 to 34-year-olds. I'm 34 this week, so I still count as young, which is great. Um, In fact, Jess, our new impact a few weeks ago, she looked at me mid-conversation, stopped and said, oh yeah, I forgot you're old. (gasps) I thought to say it on the last week of impact is fine. On the first week, she's going to have a miserable year. (laughs) But they asked 2,000 young people that question. What could you not live without? The first response, or the top response, was internet connection. You can take my cheese, you can take my bed, but just don't take the internet. Closely behind that was the television. Uh, surprisingly, chocolate was number 13. And up in number seven was the good classic British cup of tea. I don't get that because I've never drunk a cup of tea or coffee in my life. I don't think, I think it's horrible. There, there are loads of things that are important in life. Loads of things that we might even say we rely on. But there is something I would suggest that is more important than any of those things. That if you didn't experience it, Or if you lost it, I would say it would affect every area of your life. From your physical health to your mental health. From your emotional well-being to your spiritual well-being. And it's this. I think one of the most important things in life is love. 
Love. Colossians 3.14 says this. And above all these things, and it's talking about things like kindness, meekness, humility, all good characteristics, good traits, but it says, above all these, put on love. Why? Because it's love that binds everything together in perfect harmony. 1 Corinthians 13.2 says this. If I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Now, that's, that's a statement, isn't it? If you don't have love, you have nothing. Ephesians 3.18, when Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing about God and the characteristics of God, it says, I pray that you may have power together with, together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And when God comes with skin on, when Jesus comes to this planet, he says in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, also you are to love one another. And you know, to be loved is to be accepted, isn't it? To be accepted is to be wanted. To be wanted is to be connected in community. And you know what? You could wake up in the morning without a cup of tea. You, honestly, you could. I'm living proof. You could actually go a whole year without the internet, even without chocolate. But to remove yourself from community entirely, to try and live a life void of love, that could kill you. And loneliness has been a hot topic, actually, in our country for some time, a number of years. Um, Because apparently we're very good at it. Um, A report concluded that the UK is the loneliest place to live in Europe. And that was before Brexit. So well done us! And I, uh, I got some facts from um, a preacher, someone I know, a friend of mine at King's Church, Mid-Sussex, and he said this. He said that three out of four GPs say they see between one and five people a day that have absolutely no need on medical grounds. It's just that they're lonely. Do you know nine million people in the UK say they're lonely not just sometimes, but all the time? There's no community 200,000 old people in our nation will go over a month without even having a conversation with a friend or a relative. And uh, Age UK, the uh, UK charity, uh, this is the year before last, did a report, and they found that over 3.6 million people over the age of 65, their main form of companionship is the TV. I believe we're the only country that has actually a minister for loneliness. Did you even know that? We have a minister for education. We have a minister for health. We have, in this country, a minister for loneliness because it's such a big issue. Theresa May said that for many in Britain, loneliness is the sad reality of life. I think the sad reality of life is often many people, even in this room, would feel that part of this church, they feel lonely. Lonely. We have somehow sometimes lost much of what it is to live in community, to live genuinely connected to one another, to demonstrate and receive love 
in the context of living connected, not through the internet, through Facebook and Twitter, but actually face-to-face contact with people that we care about. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Love. One, uh, one author and pastor, John Ortberg, he's one of my favorite preachers, he's in the States, he wrote this book called, I'd Like You More If You Were More Like Me. And it's a great title, so true. And he said this, when I think of love, I think of a table. When I think of love, I think of a table. And he goes on to say how, for many of us, all the big moments in life, whether it's big decisions we make, whether it's in events such as Christmas or Easter, or for him, Thanksgiving, times of celebration like birthdays, even in times of grief and mourning, often he said there was a table that people would gather around. And he said to have a place at the table was significant because it meant you were wanted. He said this, to have a seat at the table was to be loved, was to be valued, was to be accepted. And I think he's so right. I'm sure even in this room there would be many memories in your life of places and people that you've shared tables with, different seasons, different times. And uh, I remember growing up, um, and my parents had this large kind of overall lacquered dark brown table. And uh, it was a large table, and, and we had this kind of protective foam cover over it, because often Gareth and myself, my brother and I, would, would play on it. We'd play scale electrics on it, or we'd have an electric train set that would go on it. Maybe build model airfix on it. And from my memory, although I'm not sure it was always like this, but often my brother and I would sit on this side of the table, my parents would sit over here, and we'll have the garden out there, kitchen here. And here was an electric socket that I tested once with a knife that was left on that table. I was less than two years old. The knife went black. I nearly killed myself. But it's etched in my memory. I remember birthdays at that table. I even remember guests that we had in our house, students and people that ate at that table. And then a number of years later, when I was about 10 or 11, we moved to Hillside Road, just around the corner, and we actually had two tables. We had the same dining room table in the dining room, which we kind of reserved for larger events, maybe Christmas, when people came round, when we had parties. But for the most part, we'd actually sit at a smaller round table in the kitchen. I actually remember the first ever meal that I cooked was for that table. I started by frying paprika over a pan. We had to evacuate the house. (laughs) I think the next time I tried, uh, a few weeks later, I found some cayenne pepper in a cupboard. No idea what it was, but it sounded good. The first mouthful, my dad spat the dinner over the table and ran to the sink. The kitchen table was for sharing. It was for doing life together. It was for eating. It was even occasionally we'd talk. When I met Lou, I had Christmas meal round her family table. They didn't stop talking. <laughs> After dinner, I needed to lie down. <laughs> Everybody's tables are different. And there will be different seasons where we enjoy community at different tables and with different people. But to have a place at the table... It's significant because it's to be loved. It's to be wanted. It's to be accepted. It's to be known. 
When I think of love, I think of a table. And actually, the Bible says a lot about tables. It's a really interesting study, actually, to work your way through the Bible and see these tables. One of the first tables we encounter in the Bible is in Exodus, right near the beginning of the Bible. And it's when God instructs the people of Israel, his people, to make a tent, to make a tabernacle. And it would have looked something similar to this. And God was very prescriptive on how this tabernacle should be. But we read there's not really that much furniture in the tabernacle in this tent. But what God does make sure there is, is a table. And again, he gives precise instructions on how this table was to be made. It was going to be plated in gold. There was going to be solid plates on this table. And he says in Exodus 25.30, it says, Put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. So on this table there would have been a picture of some wine, but there also would have been loaves of bread. And not just one, but God instructs that there are to be 12 loaves of bread, the bread of the presence on his table. I don't know if you know your biblical history. I don't know if you know much about the Old Testament. But if you was an Israelite living at that time, you would have known exactly what God was saying. Because the Israelite people were divided into 12 tribes, into 12 clans. And, and God is instructing saying, no, every single tribe, every clan will have a place at my table. At God's table, there's a place for everyone. Just imagine the room would have been filled with the aroma of fresh baked bread. Every time you walk past Subway, that smell that hits you, it would have been better than that. I love the smell of fresh bread in the morning. Lou and I used to make fresh bread, well, we did once. <laughs> well, a machine did it for us. Just imagine, as an Israelite, every time you smell bread, every time you walk past the Subway, what comes into your mind is God's table. And I have a place at the table. God is my provider. When I think of love, I think of a table. When I think of God's love, I think of God's table. Everyone has a place. There's another table we read about in the Old Testament, and it's in 2 Samuel. And uh, actually, Neil Alexander read from it last week, and it's about King David. Now, Most of us, whether we have a church background or not, have heard stories of King David, how he defeats Goliath. He's brought up as a shepherd boy looking after his dad's sheep. He's killed a lion. He's killed uh, a bear. And and he, he defeats Goliath. And he grows in stature and significance in Israel. He's thought very highly of at first by Saul. And he becomes best friends with Saul's, the king's son, Jonathan. And they're like brothers. They support, they encourage, they protect, they love one another. And after a while, David becomes king. And when Saul and Jonathan dies, David says this. And we heard it last week. I'm going to read it now from 2 Samuel 9. It says, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? And we do read that when they, 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 they define that there was one person, and it was a guy called Mephibosheth. So if you're looking for children's names, if you're pregnant, that's a great name, isn't it? Mephibosheth. And there really isn't that much detail about Mephibosheth. All we really know is that he's a cripple. He's lame in both feet. And David calls him to him. And understandably, Mephibosheth is quite nervous. You know, he's being summoned for no reason, really, to the king of the nation. 
And David says this in verse 7. He says, don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. And this is such a lovely line. And you will always eat at my table. Isn't that such an amazing, wonderful invitation to sit at the table? Because that was significant. You know, for Mephibosheth, that would have been significant because to eat at the king's table meant you had his protection. It meant he had your back. Actually, it meant that you got given royal status, be given an identity, suddenly become a someone. You would have been treated as a member of the king's family. Now, how does Mephibosheth respond? Well, Verse 8 says, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Who am I that I should get a place at your table? I wonder, I just wonder whether there'll be people in this room that can relate to that and say, I don't know if I really have a place here. I don't know if I deserve it. I don't know really if I've got anything to offer. And I think those are the things that are going through Mephibosheth's minds. You normally get an invite to the table if you're like the other person, don't you? If you're like the other person. But he realises he's not like David at all. He hasn't killed a lion, he hasn't killed a bear, he's not going to join David's taxidermy club, you know, bringing stuff what you killed that week. He's, he's not like David, he doesn't rule a nation. Another reason you may get an invite to the table is because you... You could be of use to someone. But Mephibosheth, he's like, I, I don't have any use for David. I'm not of any use to him. In fact, we even have that saying, don't we? And all of us could have said this. What can they bring to the table? What can they bring to the table? As, as though the only basis for them being there is if they're able to offer us something. Be able to make a valuable contribution in some way. And Mephibosheth and some of us may recognise that we don't really have anything to add to the king's table. But this is what David says. And it says in the Bible that David has a heart that very much reflects God's heart. He says, no, as long as I've got a table, you've got a table. As long as I have a seat at the table, you have a seat at the table. And, you know, in this passage, four times we read, so Mephibosheth ate at the David's table like one of the king's sons. Isn't that wonderful? Who does that remind us of? Who does that remind you of? We have a place at the king's table. When I think about love, I think about a table. And on how God's table, it's not built around power or prestige or wealth or status. It's built on love, on servanthood, on grace. And community. I wonder what this church would really be like if we were maybe a little more open with our tables. If we became a little bit more vulnerable once in a while and invited one or two Mephibosheths to our table. John Orberg said this. He said, in David's culture, and this would be the same for Jesus, he said, to share a table with someone was a big deal. It meant you, you were identifying with them and they were willing publicly for them to be identified with you. To sit with someone in that culture was to extend to them acceptance, friendship, protection and love. The shared table was a shared life. 
And when we fast forward to the New Testament, the religious leaders in Jesus' day were very aware about their reputation. They were very careful about this, who they would share their table with. They'd be very careful about who they would spend time with because they had an image and a reputation to uphold. To be seen as righteous, to be seen as holy for them was to protect that image and that reputation and to be set apart from others. But we know that Jesus wasn't careful about this at all, was he? In fact, he shared a place at the table with some of the most unlikely, unrespectable, immoral, unholy people all of the time. This is God. He didn't apologize for it. He didn't make excuses for it. In fact, often, actually, he was quite provocative about it. And the Pharisees even challenged the disciples about this. And we read it in 9-11. He says, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's even outside of their frame of thinking. You see, for the religious leaders, holiness was about keeping separate, ultimately, who you exclude from the table. Whereas for God, for Jesus, it's all about how many get a seat at the table. Oh, how the world needs to see a church where instead of being divided by socioeconomic groups, by its interests, by its reputations, by its achievements, we declare aloud, all are welcome, all can come, all can have a seat at God's table. There's a table for everybody. When I think of love, I think of a table. In Luke 15, we read how uh, Jesus tells a story about a father and two sons. Just imagine they're they're here, they're sitting, they're having breakfast, eating bacon sandwiches. And and the youngest son says, Dad, I've been thinking for a little while now. I I think I'd, I'd like to have my inheritance now. There's some things I want to do. If you think how outrageous that is, because you only get your inheritance when your dad dies. He's basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Because I want to go and achieve, I want to go and do, I want to enjoy, I want to do the things that I want to do. And the father considers this, and he, and he does, he, he accepts his son's request, and he says, that's fine, you, you take your half of the inheritance. And all we read from the Bible is that he goes, he basically he leaves the father's table, he packs his bag, and it says he squanders all of the money on worldly living, on wild living. And all the father can do is sit there, waiting, just looking at the empty chair. Just wondering, is is his son going to come back? Will he ever come back? And we read one day, he does come back. And while he's a father, the father appears and he sees him through the window. He gets up, he runs to his son. He gives him a big embrace. He puts the cloak on him and he says, come back, come back to my table. And he sits him in his chest, being vacant, he's been empty waiting for you. And he comes back. And and they celebrate, they have a big party and he rejoices saying, my son, he's come back. He's sitting with me. For many of us, the story I don't think is actually about the father or even about the prodigal son. I think for many of us, it's about the older brother. Because the, the older brother sees all this and he's been there the whole time. He hasn't spent a penny In fact, he's worked very hard for his dad, honoured his dad. And he says, well, if he's going to have a seat at the table, I'm not going to have a seat at the table. And he gets up and he he, he kicks his chair over and he walks out of the house. If if he's going to sit at the table, I'm not going to sit at the table. He knows who deserves to be at the table and who doesn't. He's really exclusive about the table. He feels quite entitled. 
I find it's a very strange thing how sometimes we don't want to sit at the table with people. Um, often at dinner time, my girls are quite prescriptive on who they want to sit, sit next to. I want to sit next to Danny. I don't want to sit there. I want to sit there. Almost sometimes I have to rearrange all the furniture in our dining room just to get everyone happy. Isn't it funny how sometimes, as human beings, we aren't happy to sit with other people at the table for whatever reason? In fact, I think the whole world actually is being wrecked by this I don't want to share a table with you mentality. And it can even creep into our churches. The father of the story, he leaves the table and he goes out to plead with his older son. To plead with him, say, please come back. Because do you know what? The father grieves over every empty chair. Let me just ask you, how are you doing at sitting at the table with people? How are you doing with that? Even in this room, maybe, are there people that, if you're honest, you just haven't shared the table with them for a while? Maybe they said something. Maybe something happens and you've been in a bad relationship with them. You've you got to know that that grieves God's heart. He wants you to make things right and come and sit back at the table with them again. There's no place for that in his house. Jesus always found time to sit with all kinds of people in all kinds of situations. The religious leaders didn't like him for it. In fact, they killed him for it. But before Jesus is murdered, we get a very special insight into one last table. The Lord's table. And Jesus is at the Passover meal with his 12 disciples. And this table isn't fancy at all. It's it's not made out of gold. There's no gold plates. It's, It's all about Jesus because they're going to remember the fact that he's going to die and rise again. And in Luke twenty two fourteen, it says this, When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Matthew 26, verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for who? For many, for the forgiveness of sins. And at that last table, the Lord's table, I feel it's the most significant and important table of them all. Because this table doesn't just invite the 12 tribes of Israel. It doesn't just actually invite one or two Mephibosheths of the world. It doesn't even just invite the 12 apostles. Actually, Jesus says it's for the many, for the forgiveness of sins. I want you to hear this morning that God's heart is that there is a place at the table for everybody who would want one. For everyone. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection was all about giving you a place at this table. His death, his life, his resurrection, all of that was so that the people of Hastings and Bexhill and surrounding areas, those people in your workplaces, those people that don't know Jesus in your homes, that they may receive him and find a place at this table. So here it is, guys. An invitation. Not just to be in relationship with a father who loves you, but to be in a relationship with a family that you've been adopted into. So how are you doing with sitting at the table with people? I think, on my own life, I think often what stopped me, if I'm honest, is just we're just too busy. 
Often it's just a matter of time. Ali, I hear you and I'd love to do that. It's just I'm too busy. And days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months. And before we know it, actually, if we're honest, we just don't live very connected with people in the church. Or maybe your experience is this. You know, I go to a lot of meetings, but I don't seem to connect in relationship with people in the way that I need to. Tim Goodenough says this. He says, everyone's trying to work out how do you fix the problem of loneliness, this epidemic in our nation? And I think part of the answer is that we've just got too busy. We've forgotten the importance of sitting at the table of gathering with friends and being part of community, living connected. In our culture, I find we spend more and more time sitting behind desks and less, and less time sitting around tables. As though to sit behind a desk will help you find your significance in life. Maybe your purpose, fulfilment, or maybe even get you a sense of identity. But the Bible teaches that no amount of time at a desk will ever have the same impact as spending time at his table. It's at his table that you will gain a true understanding of your identity. It's sitting in community at God's table that will give you an understanding of purpose in this life. It's sitting at God's table that will help you know who you are, who you really are, and let you know how significant you are. You do have a place. You do have a part. You are valued. And you know, our heart's desire here at King's is that you'll find a place here where you do feel like it's home. That you do feel welcomed. That you find a place at the table. And you know, it doesn't have to be a tidy table. It doesn't have to be a messy table. It could be a pub table. It could be a coffee shop table. It could be a table with a monopoly board in the middle. What's on the table, what type of table it is, is not important at all. The important thing is that you have, you find a place at the table. That's what's important. I want to encourage you in this season. We're signing up for connect groups, guys. In this season, let me just encourage you. Make sure you find time to sit at the table. Maybe like me, that might even mean that you've got to make some changes to your diary. Say no to a few things. Because to sit at the table is to be loved. Is to be accepted. Is to be supported. Is to be pastored. Is to be known. Why don't we just close our eyes? I just want to pray for us. God, I want to thank you that you have invited us to sit at your table. And Father, if we've got up from that table because of upset, because of wrong motive, we want to say we're sorry. And today we say we want to make that right. I want to thank you that you've adopted us into a family. Thank you for all the blessings of having you as daddy, but... I want to thank you for the blessings of being with brothers and sisters too. And whilst we know we're all different, whilst we know sometimes we can wind each other up and rub each other up the wrong way, Lord, I, I say, Lord, I know that there is value in us being together. And in, the, in this season ahead, God, we say we choose community. We choose to open up our doors and open our tables and love one another as you commanded us to love them. Jesus, thank you that when you broke that bread and when you poured out the, the wine. I want to thank you that you said this is for the forgiveness of sins for many. 
And I just pray for any person in this room that doesn't feel connected in any way, particularly those that don't even know you. I say, Jesus, thank you that there is an invitation for them today to come to your table. And I pray, would they find community? Would they find love? Would they find acceptance in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. I'm going to hand you back over to Paul.